Hey, TGAS, Devin here. That's a stupid joke. Thank you so much for listening to this, the 50th episode of The Great American Scream. Thank you if you have been here since the beginning or if you've just jumped in. We are so happy to have you. To celebrate, Adam and I will be doing a live stream on February the 19th, 2021, this coming Friday at 8 p.m. on my Twitch channel, which is twitch.tv slash dlaw, D-E-E-L-A-W. And we hope to see you there. We're going to be doing some horror trivia, some analog horror YouTube video watching, which is next week's topic for the episode, as well as some Dead by Daylight gaming. So come hang out, come chill. It'll be fun. And without further ado, let's get into it. This is a show about getting spooked for fun, and neither one of the hosts are associated with the attractions discussed in any way, except for those skeletons in Devin's closet. Some topics may go from ghoulish to ghastly, so viewer discretion is advised. Welcome to The Great American Scream. Oh my god, Adam, look behind you. There's a, there's a, it's a zombie. Ah. Look out. Ah. Oh, wait, nope, nope, wait. He's just stepped into the light, and he's sure is shambling. But oh no, that's a that's a mummy. He's just a zombie with a bunch of toilet paper. On. Oh wait, wait, he's walking further. Oh oh nope, it is a zombie. He just had a real big bathroom mishap. He's just covered in toilet paper. But what's that? Oh, let's get him out of the door. Okay, bye. Chunk. <laughs> what's that behind? Oh my God, it's a re- it's an actual mummy. Oh nope, wait, that's Brendan Fraser. Ah. <laughs> Brendan Fraser is not the mummy. He's he's in the mummy. Is he not what are are you starting I off this? Are Brendan. you starting off this podcast by telling me you've never seen the mummy? No, of course I've seen the mummy. Okay, the mummy. I was gonna bring us on a fun goof thing where no, Brendan Fraser is the mummy. Okay, is Brendan. that the one? Is the first one the one where the rock turns into a big scorpion? That is the second one. Oh, scorpion. That's King. a shame. Um, but yeah, I like that guy. <laughs> he's great. The scorpion. I mean. And the rock. Mark Johnson is fine. Yeah. He's fine. But, okay, but you like the scorpion but the better. Scorpion? Big fan of the scorpion king. What are we talking about today? Are we talking about scorpions? Well, uh, before we get too wrapped up in uh, talking, uh, about, uh, <laughs> talking about Dwayne the Rock Johnson, um, today. Adam, I think we lost everybody. <laughs> Dear I God. Think with my long winded, my long winded, not funny intro bit, we lost the people that like good comedy. And, we or don't like bad do comedy anymore. and don't like good comedy like I like I did. And then when you did your stupid pun, we lost the people who like good comedy. We lost everybody. Goodbye. We, it's just us now. We don't have to do the show anymore. Well, I'd really like to talk to you about mummies anyway. Um, okay, let's just talk as friends about mummies. <laughs> yeah, um, because I think mummies as like a horror icon are very interesting. Um, yes. Because like, and we're, I'm, I'll talk about this in a little bit too. They're like... When we talk about vampires and werewolves, they've always existed in folklore, but they've right, always yeah. been something to be feared. Mummies are just kind of a thing that we did. And then like hundreds of years or thousands of years later, we were like, we're going to take that and make it scary. Yeah, it's a very for being one of the oldest monsters, literally, mm-hmm. even though they're not monsters, they're just people. Spoiler alert. They're the they're some of the newest monsters. Yeah. Like that's super interesting. And they're not founded odd. in a in like a deep 
like right. It's not fear. this. It's not this like ancient thing that we found scary a long time ago and now have just evolved to a different way. We just decided that one day we were going to make mummies scary, and we'll talk a about bunch of white people. Yeah, to a tomb and went, oh, it's scary. And we'll talk precisely about precisely how we got there. Um, but for some context of exactly how we got there. All right. Um, I'm going to take you back in November yeah. of 1922. Uh, the tomb of the Egyptian pharaoh Tutankhamun was rediscovered by archaeologist Howard Carter in the Valley of Kings. I am Howard Carter stepping into Tutankhamun's tomb. <laughs> What's that from, Adam? Only I don't, you and I know. No, I actually don't know. <laughs> it's from uh, Amelie, the musical. Oh, right. Devin and I what saw a, that together for free. What a good show. Um, that was free, right? Or we pay like $4 or something. probably free. Yeah, we saw it for free. I liked it. Um, I love that show. Anyhow, um, so it, it was uh, unearthed or rediscovered for the first time since uh, it had been sealed. Um, and then the tomb was opened for the first time in thousands of years in February of 1923. Um, some of the items found inside this tomb were a solid gold coffin, um, his famous kind of death mask. That's kind of his mm -hmm. iconography. Um, thrones, archery bows, trumpets, furniture, food and wine, amongst 5,398 uh, 5, other items. Mm. But also potentially a curse. Woo! <laughs> um, so during that's the, the. That's what you get for sealing. For just grave robbing. Yeah, just straight up grave I almost, I almost did a real cuss at Howard Carter. I almost got real angry at him. <laughs> um, so during the archaeological craze of unearthing tombs and mummies, especially in Egypt in the late 19th, early 20th century, and we'll talk more about the Egyptology craze um, in a little bit. Um, but so this rumor persisted of the like, quote, curse of the pharaohs, which was an alleged curse cast upon anyone who disturbs the mummy or the tomb of an Egyptian pharaoh, especially if that pharaoh died young, which Tutankhamun did. I believe he was some, what, like 16, 16 yeah, very young. Around there. Um, the curse was claimed to cause bad luck and then usually followed by illness or death. Um, so five months after unearthing the tomb, uh, George Herbert, the fifth Earl of Carnarvon, um, died of blood poisoning caused by an infected mosquito bite he had gotten on the oh, dig. Those, those damn mosquitoes, they, uh, they um, get all of them. He'd already been in a weakened state after a car accident and months of like physically working on unearthing the tomb. Um, and of the rest of the 58 people who worked on the dig, eight died in the 12 years following. And Howard Carter himself died in 1939. I love the fact that we consider that a curse. I know. That's not That's that not bad. a significant number. It was like, it was the Great Depression. Like, however, people died of non mummy related curses. A big reason that this this curse rumor, especially surrounding this specific dig, was so popular was that Sir Arthur Conan Doyle uh, making another comeback after we talked about psychics. And um, when did that fool die? He was still kicking at oh this my point. God. Um, he was, remember, he was in the ghost club. Yeah, but I, I don't, <laughs> Arthur Conan Doyle got. He was old. Um, he was a big believer in the idea of Tutankhamun's tomb being cursed. Um, and he suggested that Lord Canaveron's death had been caused by, quote, elementals uh, created by priests to guard the pharaoh's tomb. Um, I like that. And of course, the rumor the rumor was popularized by newspapers at the time, which led to this explosion of fascination in not only Egyptology, but um, mummies specifically and the curse of the pharaohs. And the very next year. Uh, the peak of the Egyptology craze came Yu-Gi-Oh! Duel Monsters. <laughs> a very your early. Your favorite thing in mine. 
a very early Yu-Gi-Oh! Um, but this would naturally uh, lead to the release of 1932's The Mummy, um, a Universal Monsters film starring Boris Karloff, uh, followed later by decades of remakes, reimaginings, and other horror stories with mummies as a central icon. good in the swamp as Frank Adley kicked off his mayoral campaign. Why wait till election day? Frank Adley is running a post for the first time. He needs some help. That is your canvassing partner. From Owen O'Leary and McKenna McElroy, a new podcast about political corruption, friendship, and, I don't know, frogs. The most unlikely of friends. My name's Crush. And I am Harmony. Meet the most unlikely of voters. The house at the top of the tree, there is no house at the top of the tree. But something isn't as it seems. Oh my algae. With jokes abound and problems to solve, can Harmony and Crush work together to save the swamp? Swampcast! Out now on all streaming platforms. So like, why mummies? Why, oh, why the mummies, yeah. Adam? So, because we're talking about two things here. We're talking about mummies as a historical thing and mummies as a horror icon. And like I said right. before, um, mummies have always been significant in culture, but not in the same way that vampires and werewolves are. They've never been something to be feared. They were a very real thing that was just part of normal burial practices for right. hundreds of different cultures. Um, and, and not to mention- and it was also just- it's it's the kind of thing it's similar to the romans having like good sanitation like it was just considered exotic and odd to like medieval and renaissance europe that other societies had good stuff way before everybody else (laughs) and and as mentioned the idea of a reanimated mummy like what we think of the mummy as like a zombie is pure contemporary horror folklore and there's nothing in ancient Egyptian culture to like this doesn't appear anywhere um, in ancient Egyptian mythology, a reanimated mummy, Um, save for the idea of like the actual afterlife and taking the material goods left in your tomb with you. But like the idea of like a zombie reanimated mummy appears nowhere. Right. Of course not. I mean, like the whole idea is that you're being wrapped up so that like you'll have your body in the afterlife. Your Mm -hmm. body will be soulless. But like it does make a lot of sense that you that again, like a, a bunch of white people go into a tomb and they find a thousands year old body that's still intact. And they're like, that thing is still alive like that at least makes sense. That line's pretty clear. Yeah, I guess um, that I, that makes a little sense. Um, but so by definition, when we're talking about like a mummy, an actual mummy, um, which like and again, a, a, a mummy isn't just what we think of as like an Egyptian mummy. A mummy is any right. dead human or animal whose like soft tissues have been dried out and preserved either by accident just because of how they were buried or in nature or like with a specific mummification process. Um, and they've right. been found. As all of us know who grew up in the early aughts and were obsessed with in different orders, dragons, time travel, probably uh, Egypt, Greece and fairies and probably at some point what's another one like um, 
There's got, oh, I'm, I have one and it's there. I almost said spies. There's probably like a little bit of a spy Spies thing. is a good one. Uh, uh, aquatic animals. Yeah, dolphins, the ocean. Uh, Everybody mermaids. wanted to be a marine biologist at some point. Oh, yeah. Uh, horses. <laughs> I wanted to be a marine biologist so bad until I realized how much math was involved. And then I, I respectfully bowed out at the age of nine. I think my sister wanted to be a marine biologist. And I was like, oh, okay. I way more math I than you'd think. Way more math. Uh, as we all know, it in Egyptian mummification involved all kinds of fun stuff. Oh, and we're going to talk it, about that this in just place, a second. This, this place has everything. <laughs> it's got long nose hooks and organs in jars and oh and what's the guy's name what's the guy's name that he kept oh dan cortez, dan cortez. We <laughs> and we're uh, going to talk about the, specific, the specifications of egyptian mummification yes. in a second um don't worry of course i, I mean, included my whole that. life for this but um so mummies have been like besides egypt they've been found on every continent um, either because of an accidental mummification or a purposeful one. Um, the oldest mummy is 6,000 years old, um, and it is a severed head found in 1936 in South America, um, which is crazy. Um, so as a horror icon, most mummies that we see have ties to Egypt, because when it's not Egyptian, we just kind of think of it as a zombie. Um, right. But this also leads to the like the misconception that that's the only place that mummies are. Um, and of yeah. course, this probably comes from the Boris Karloff film, which was about an Egyptian mummy and the Egyptology craze or Egyptomania of that time yeah. period. We were finding mummies everywhere during this time period. Uh, contrary to popular belief, everywhere too, we were, everywhere we were finding there were mummies. mummies left and right. Yeah, because you open a door, you find a mummy. You lift up a rock, you find a mummy. That's the other misconception, too, is that like everyone that's mummified is a pharaoh or some kind of nobility. They mummified a lot of people. Um, and there were so many mummies that rich Europeans were buying them and having private unwrapping parties in their like parlors and stuff. They would keep them in their little cabinets of curiosities. They would grind them into paint to make something called mummy brown. They would use mummy body parts as decorations and like paperweights. And we would eat the ground up mummies as medicine. And that was more I of a 17th century thing. But people still did that. I think it was a good choice when. Crayola renamed the crayon that was called Mummy Brown. There was a crayon called Mummy Brown. Oh my God. Was, I, that was a joke about no, the flesh colored crayon. I think there was. Oh my God. I'm going to look anyway, it up right now. It, I think also, in, in addition to the Boris Karlov film, I think the overall culture surrounding specifically the UK uh, kind of exploiting uh, a, a very specific brand of neocolonialism of like, not to not to be a lefty about it, like the museum craze of yeah. like we're going to go to these places where we still have colonial ties and just take artifacts and then put them in our museums or sell them off to rich people like that had to kind of uh turbocharge the egypt egyptomania and yeah. like probably fed into the popularity of the film which then fed into the popularity of the mythos and exactly also, yep. I think I was wrong. I, there was no Crayola color named Mummy Brown. Thank I think God. that was a favorite dream that I had. <laughs> in in your mandala effect universe, the flesh-colored crayon was called Mummy Brown. I feel like I had like a Halloween box where it was like Frankenstein green and like Mummy Brown. And so, I don't know. I oh, but that would be okay. Made this up. If it was, if it was just like zombie green mum, Mummy yeah. Brown. If it was called Mummy Brown in reference to the horrid disgusting yeah. act of a bunch of rich people grinding, grinding up, up mummies. human beings 
Yeah. yeah. But so for the purposes of our discussion, we'll be talking mostly about Egyptian mummies because they are the ones that appear in the horror iconography. Yes. Um, which therefore I would like to talk about the Egyptian mummification process. Is this yes. really relevant to our discussion? Not, Not really, at all. But I was obsessed with this as a kid. I there was okay. Do you remember the show that was on Discovery Kids, Tuttenstein? Do we remember Absolutely. this? Absolutely. Um, was a great show. There was the game on the on discoverkids.com where you could play and you could mummify somebody. Oh, um, that's cool. And I remember I like it almost exactly. So um, that game- Did I, you have the big Egyptology book? Yeah. That was the only one of those ology books I had, but I had the oh, Egyptology I think one. I had Dragonology and I also had the Time Traveler's Handbook. I had the um, Encyclopedia Horrifica. That of I really course you enjoyed. did. That's I really the most liked you think that I've one. ever heard. <laughs> I wish I still had that. Um, anyway, um, to, I, I couldn't find that because I was going to play the game again for research, um, but it's gone, unfortunately. Well, um, Flash is dead. So yeah, so this is uh, how to make a mummy according to National Geographic. Okay. Whatever. <laughs> Instead um, of Discovery Kids. Yeah. Um, so first, uh, traditionally, the body was washed in wine and Nile River water. Uh, then a mm-hmm. hole was cut in the side to take out the organs. Um, the brain was removed by inserting a long hook up the nose and they would like break it up and then drain it out through the nose. That is still used today. Uh, not in the same exact way and not the same exact hooks. They don't, they don't use the same hooks, but that same idea is still yeah. used. Um, and but while all the other organs were cleaned, the brain was thrown away as it was considered to be a pretty useless organ. Uh, don't need it. The, don't need it. Especially not in the afterlife. Yeah. I, <laughs> I don't need no thoughts. Um, no thoughts, head empty. Um, and then, so the liver, lungs, intestines, and stomach were put into uh, canopic, canopic, canopic jars, sure. canopic jars uh-huh. um, yeah. that resemble the gods that were meant to protect each one. Um, and the heart was put back in the body, though, because it was seen as the center of intelligence. That's, that's where all your thoughts are. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so then the cavities of the body were filled with a salt called um, natron, and the body was covered in it as well to dry it out. It took 40 days to dry out completely. And after those 40 days, the natron was removed, and the body was stuffed with plants and spices and rags so it would keep its shape because, like, there it was and, empty. And so. so it wouldn't smell bad. It was literally like dry marinating. A human body. Yeah, in a way. Until it became jerky. So <laughs> that when you woke up in the afterlife, you would have a tasty snack. <laughs> <laughs> um, the body was then wrapped in fine linen bandages. And then there were some uh, lucky amulets wrapped in between the bandages to protect the body. Uh, and then the mummy was then placed in several coffins because that's what the sarcophagus is. It's several coffins, um, not yeah. just the one big fancy one altogether. It's a sarcophagus. Right. Uh, I'll put that box in a box and I'll put that box inside another box and I'll mail that box to myself. Um, I was thinking of something similar, which is I find the box that's gay and crush it, which is the same kind of end end result. I'll mail that box to myself and I'll smash it with a hammer. Um, Uh, And then the body was encased in the tomb, usually with some personal belongings, uh, like we talked about before. Sometimes mummified animals. Yeah, could then take uh, them on the afterlife. I actually, like as much as a lot of people go like, you know, gross. And it is a little bit gross. I think like if you're ever uh, in the mood to just like <laughs> for cultural appreciation, uh, I think like there are several documentaries and and really well-written books about the process of mummification that just like make it seem like a beautiful, like thoughtful ritual that these people would do because it genuinely was you are a friend, a family member, a community member has died and you are preparing. You, you are taking so much time to like deal with the dead body in a way that is thoughtful and and uh 
and kind in a way that I think I like is so neat. Yeah. Is is so is so cool and is so honestly at odds with like our concept of death and dead bodies and being like, ew, gross. Yeah. Like it's and so like cool. alternative burial processes are nothing new today. Um and like especially because like the idea of embalming although it's like so it's almost seen as like the normal thing to do with a body now is so different and odd. Um, yeah. It, it, compared to, to what we've done in the past, um, I totally recommend um, Caitlin Doherty's YouTube channel. If you want to learn more about these kind of yes. uh, burial processes, ask a mortician. She is awesome. Um, and she talks about different burial processes in a very like, enlightening and respectful and kind of just very interesting, very cool way. But so how do we get from that to Boris Karloff? Um, so the first living mummies in fiction appeared uh, in like the mid to late 19th century. So in the Egyptology craze um, and were mostly female mummies presented in a romantic or sexual light. I love that. Because we know what we never we were never going to stop trying to boink monsters. Never gonna try. Never gonna not be boinking monsters. We we are all and yeah, the well, boinking monsters, monsters. But also, there is nothing I love more than a reveal. And one of my favorite reveals is when a mummy is unwrapped and it's not a mummy. I are we gonna talk? Wait, can we stop? Pause, can we pause the podcast and talk about Night at the Museum. <laughs> How the whole Speaking movie, of, we thought there was going to be, ooh, like a gross, scary mummy under those bandages, and they unwrapped him, and it was fine-ass Rami Malek. hot piece of ass Rami Malek. He's I, I, such a crush on him. He was my first crush as a kid when I saw that movie. That movie series uh, introduced me to bisexuality because <laughs> fell in love with Rami Malek, uh, saw the gay couple of uh, the Roman and, and the cowboy. cowboy, and then in the second movie, Amy Battle Adams. of Smithsonian... Amy Adams fell in love with her. Oh Amelia Earhart also fell in love with a random historical figure who disappeared in the Pacific Ocean, you know, as you do. Yeah. Uh, oh, also in that movie, the Tuskegee Airmen are on the move once again, which <laughs> I, I reference all, all the, the time, time and nobody gets. Uh, <laughs> so anyway, never like I think that revealing a mummy rap to not be a gross human inside is always great. It yeah. Is, it's such a good payoff. And the idea of it being like a hot lady, very good. Yeah, because even this, and it wasn't even like, I, it, it wasn't even kind of an unwrapping thing. It was almost like a, um, in a very similar way to the original, the Boris Karloff movie did, that like suddenly the mummy transforms back into a person. Um, oh, that's it's like less of an unwrapping. Which is, and, yeah. Yeah. Oh. Um, and of course, Dang like it. this came from the fetishization of non-Eurocentric cultures, which is also a huge part of why this Egyptian mania was a thing. Um, yeah. So both Bram Stoker and Sir Arthur Conan Doyle wrote in this genre uh, with the Jewel of Seven Stars and the Ring of uh, Toth. Thoth? Thoth. Thoth, yeah. Yeah. I think it's um, just Thoth. Respectively. Uh, Edgar Allan Poe also wrote in it, but he wrote it as satire. Um, for him. The Mummy's Foot. By um, I believe his name is Théophile Gautier. Gautier. Um, yeah, that was the first. Uh, that was actually the monkey's paw, but it was a human foot. <laughs> the mummy's another, foot. Another toe on the on the mummy's foot curl. <laughs> yeah. So uh, that was pr one of the most famous examples of this kind of like mummy fiction. 
Um, in it, our protagonist buys the foot of a mummified Egyptian princess in a curio shop and uses it as a paperweight. Um, and that night, the princess comes to him in a vision and asks for her foot back in exchange for this like small statuette that she has. And so he agrees and she takes him back to ancient Egypt where he meets her father, who is a king. And so he's like, hey, can I marry your daughter? Um, and bad then call, the dad says, the dad says no, but he says, you know why? It's because you're 27 and the princess is over 3000 years old and that well, and you're too young. <laughs> you're too you're young. Too young. Um, and then the protagonist is then woken up from this dream, but then sees that the mummy's foot on his desk has been replaced with the statue. <laughs> what an odd, it's what very an strange. odd, like it, that it literally reads like an AO3 one shot. Like it doesn't it doesn't mean anything. There's no I can't tell what the metaphor is. There's no the first theme. time that I heard this story. It was on one of those like Spotify playlists. It's like short horror stories. And I was like doing work while I was listening. And I had to horror. stop, you know, like, well, I mean, you know, like it was like the old time. Like it was uh, Edgar Allan Poe and like all this no, kind no, of old timey. No, no, no. I'm not I'm not reading your your <laughs> listening of short horror stories. I think that's great. We're literally doing a horror podcast. This story is not horror. But this is not a scary story. This is a lovely short story about how a man man did a bad thing, and then that the woman whose foot he stole came to him in a dream and was like, "Hey, maybe not do that." And then he was like, "But why not? I'm white and powerful." She's like, "Come to ancient Egypt with me." Like that. Like that's this is this is a this is a treehouse kids book. This is a treehouse kids book. Um, so the first time, like the Boris Karloff movie is the first time we see mummies as like a horror thing. It's something to be afraid of. Um, most famously in the 1932 film. Um, so in this film, and this is kind of the story that we recognize because this is the one that ends up in the 1999 movie. Um, so an ancient mummy named Imhotep is discovered by archaeologists and brought back to life through um, a magic scroll, the Book of the Dead, which the Book of the Dead, real thing. Um, and he disguises yeah. himself as a normal Egyptian and searches for his lost love, which he believes to have been reincarnated into a modern woman. Um and this So you're so wait, Boris Boris Karloff. Mm-hmm. Frankenstein. Did, you play, did he play an Egyptian man? Yes, oh, yes, he did. It was nineteen thirty-two. Yeah. Dang it, Boris. <laughs> I don't know what to tell you. This it was of course he did. It was nineteen thirty-two. Uh, um all right. And um uh so this film was famously worked on by Jack Pierce. Um, and featured a very early like monster transformation scene, something that we really wouldn't see like advanced until we get to like the 60s, 70s, 80s. Um, so Karloff's makeup was designed um, after Seti the first and Ramses the third's mummies. Um, and the makeup process began at 11 a.m. And they would apply cotton, clodion, spirit gum to his face. And then they would clay up his hair and then uh, wrap him in linen bandages that were treated with acid and burnt in the oven. So they looked old. Um, the process was then finished at 7 p.m. So that is an eight God. hour makeup process. Then Karloff would film scenes until 2 a.m. And then it would take an hour oh. to take the makeup off. So he was in bed by like 3, 30, 4 o'clock and then would get up the next day to start the process at oh. 11. I mean... Yeah, at first that sounds great. Your day doesn't start till 11. <laughs> you look at the schedule, you're like, oh, my call time's 11. That's great. Yeah. You look at the rest of the schedule, you're like, oh, God. My first scene isn't until 2 a.m. until, like, 8.30. 
Must be so annoying to take your equity 15s yeah. while half glopped with collodion and yeah. Um He actually only appears in this full look with the bandages for the opening of the movie. Um, even though that's like his most iconic look from it. The rest of the movie, he's just kind of a dude. A dude. Because um, he's been brought back to life. Um, and then the, this movie was followed by four, um, not like, because this of the Universal Classic Monster films, this film was like a modic, modest success. It had pretty mixed reviews. Everyone was kind of like, yeah, it's it's good. It's it's fine. It's fine. Um, not quite as good as the rest of them, but people liked it. So The Mummy was uh, then followed by four kind of like the non-sequels. Thor, the Thor of, of Universal Classic Monster. <laughs> um like uh the, these these weren't quite sequels because they didn't follow the same story but they kind of like tied themselves to like this mummy franchise okay. um and they've replaced imhotep with a mummy named karis um the mummy's hand sure. in 1940 the mummy's tomb in 1942 the mummy's ghost in 1944 and the mummy's curse also in 1944 the mummy's elbow <laughs> the mummy's writing desk the mummy's doorknob <laughs> i have a problem with the phrase the mummy's ghost <laughs> it's a little silly if there's a ghost there can't be a mummy is it a mummy or is it a ghost <laughs> it, make up your mind mummy um, i mean ghost and in this movie <gasps> uh, wait if it's a mummy if it's a ghost that's also a mummy it's a gummy <laughs> ew yuck ghost mummy or gummy as i will call him um, and in these movies, Boris Karloff was not in them. He was only in the first one. Uh, this mummy, Karis, was played by Lon Chaney Jr., who um, is the Wolfman. He is the Wolfman. Um, and Karis also appears in Abbott and Costello. Abbott and Costello meet the mummy. Not Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein. Abbott and Costello meet the mummy. Different, different uh, movie. Which came out in 55. But his name is now Claris for some reason. Um, I don't know why that they, they oh, changed you know, his copyright. name. Of themselves. Yeah, they, they didn't want to get sued by themselves. Um, Hammer Films also went on to make several mummy films in the 50s and 60s based on the Karis films, not the Imhotep film. Um, and earnestly after that, after the Hammer Films, mummies kind of fell out of public favor, as did all monster films with the advent of the slasher in the 60s and 70s and stuff, but had mini revival with the 1999 movie, um, the Brendan Fraser one. Yes. Cinema. Brendan Fraser um, has I, so many rights. Oh, he's so good. Um, it's This is technically a remake of the 1932, but they make it action horror and it's a different yeah. storyline. Like it's the same setup. And the yeah, antagonist it's like is an, still it's an action movie. Yeah. Um, Imhotep revived by the Book of the Dead, looking for his lady. Can't find her. Where is she? Um, the film was hugely successful. This film made 400, $416 million on an $80 million budget. <laughs> Both of those numbers are that's really impressive. Yeah, like four hundred sixteen million is a a ton of money, even in the time of Titanic. But an eighty million dollar budget yeah. for that movie, and is the CGI good? No, but no, that's okay. Of course not. It was nineteen ninety nine. Yeah, like um, the uh, Phantom Menace wasn't good. What you're going. You're going, you're looking at the mummy and you're like, this isn't, this is no Jar Jar. Like, what are you talking about? <laughs> what are you talking about? Um, this film spawned two sequels, The Mummy Returns in 2001, which is, I think is the one that, um, that Dwayne, The Rock Johnson is in. Yes. Um, Jack the Dwayne, Dwayne Monson. <laughs> Dwayne the Scorpion King Johnson. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then The Mummy Tomb of the Dragon Emperor in 2008. It then also got a spin-off. That's hat on a hat. Yeah, that's different. Um, it, it got a spin-off. 
The Scorpion King in 2002, based off It of, was a TBS characters welcome sitcom. Pretty much. Starring Dwayne um, The Rock Johnson as the Scorpion but King. But then that was followed by a prequel, The Scorpion King 2, Rise of a Warrior, and then three sequels, The Scorpion King 3, Battle for Redemption, The Scorpion King 4, Quest for Power, and The Scorpion King, The Book of Souls. I... I was only going to reference Yu-Gi-Oh once, but this timeline is just like Yu-Gi-Oh. It's what too much. are you talking about? <laughs> the the prequel, The Scorpion King 2: Rise of a Warrior. First of all, don't name your prequel 2. That's yeah, not how prequels work. Second of all, the prequel to Scorpion King is The Mummy. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's what that's the prequel. How did we get 5 Scorpion King films and only <laughs> Three Three mummy films, and really, if we're being honest, two mummy films. (laughs) Um, It did, though, get a banging Universal Studios ride that we should do. We're going to do its own episode on the future. Incredible ride. Because it's one of the best rides in the park. Um, And I really hope, I know that the franchise is kind of like not as relevant anymore, but I really hope they don't do anything with it because, like, I know Universal tends to favor newer franchises and is very quick. Like, nothing is sacred. They are very quick, except for ET. Right now. Because if they remove ET, Spielberg pulls out. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I they especially right now are into anything with the name Harry Potter in it or yeah. has a, a lovely stout plumber with a big red hat who loves mushrooms. I, um, yeah, I just really hope they keep the mummy because it's so and, and so good. Like the Jaws proved that Universal could do a really amazing immersive ride, but showed that they sucked at keeping <laughs> keeping that ride open for more than, you know, two hours. The Mummy proved that they could, like, that they not only could do great, amazing, immersive rides, but that they had their own brand. Yeah. That they weren't just trying to do the same thing as Disney. It was like the, it was like the ride, we're going to do a whole episode on it. Yeah. It was the ride that, it was the proof of concept for Universal's idea of, like, oh, step into the movies. Mm -hmm. E.T. and Men in Black are also very good examples, but, oh, that ride is so good. Yeah, it's so good. Um, and then, of course, we got a like remake, reboot, of course, everybody's something favorite. what we've all been waiting for of The Mummy uh, in 2017, starring Tom Cruise. Uh, this film was supposed to be the second film in the Universal Pictures Dark Universe, which was supposed to be like a shared Marvel style universe of the Universal Classic Monsters. The first movie in this um, like universe was Dracula Untold in 2014, starring Luke Evans, which was also not great, but is not as bad as The Mummy. But this movie, like, okay, so this movie film was supposed to introduce The Mummy as a, like, in the Dark Universe, played by uh, Sophia Batella. Um, and then also Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, who were played by Russell Crowe in this movie. That was supposed to be their introduction into the Dark Universe. That's however, a great casting. How, <laughs> however, this movie was dunked on so hard. This movie sucked so ba- much. It was panned so badly. Had such a weird I know. few years. It, like Edge of Tomorrow is is an amazing movie that mm-hmm. deserves way more respect. But like it was still weird for him to do an a, a, a gritty adaptation of an of a Japanese light novel. But what made him look at oh a remake of the Mummy? Sign me up. I mean, because they made an action movie and this movie was received so poorly that Universal pulled the rest of the Dark Universe movies because they were like, it doesn't work, y'all. It's stupid. Okay, but here's the thing. This this Dark Universe franchise was semi-saved by The Invisible Man, which came out this past year, um, which is 
was supposed to be part of the dark universe, but after the mummy tanked, they marketed it as a standalone film, but it's technically still part of the dark universe. Um, and it rocked. The invisible man was so good. Um, it's release was troubled by the pandemic and stuff, but it still made $142 million on a $7 million budget. $7 million. The budget of the invisible man was $7 million. Making any movie at like a big studio with any name actor for under $10 million is a feat that somebody deserves an award for. Yeah. Like, I'm pretty sure Rocky incredible. Horror had a bigger budget in the 70s. <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised. Rocky Horror is like, um, you need a lot strange. of money to pull off that yeah. kind of camp. And it, um, it was made on a shoestring and a banana peel. Right. Um, but Wait, what? So, I want to see what the mummy. What? The, 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 the 2017 was. mummy? What it lost? Its budget was uh, somewhere between 125 and 195 million. And how much did it make? It made 410. Like okay. it, it succeeded financially, but, but like, not critically. Wow. Um. So this proof, like the Invisible Man, proves that this franchise can work. They just need to stop making them action movies, like Dracula Untold and the Mummy. We don't need the Universal Classic Monsters movie to be action movies. Just make them horror and thrillers like The Invisible Man. The Conjuring has a shared universe. They're all horror movies. So the Universal Classic Monsters can have it too. Just make them good movies. Don't like, I'm not saying that most Marvel movies on their own are are good. I think some of them are. But there's a lot, there's a lot of good ones. But the, the, like the success of that franchise was not the fact that it was a shared universe. That was just something. They added on. Yeah, and also it's that's how that's what comics do. You can't be like, I yeah, I love uh, all my kids' movies. I love Chronicles of Narnia and Alice in Wonderland and uh, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. You know what I'm gonna do? No, it's literally like if somebody came to a studio and was like, I have a new idea for an expanded universe. Roll doll. That's right. I'm going to start with Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, and in it, I'm going to introduce Matilda. And then in Matilda, instead of a, a chocolate cake... Stop, stop, the, the CW is taking That's notes. Right. That's right. It's a giant peach. Like, and his name is James. Like, what are you... What? And also, who who grew that giant peach? It's the big effing giant. <laughs> the big effing giant. Um, but yes, this franchise can work. Stop making them action movies. Um, so other planned films for this franchise um, are Frankenstein, Bride of Frankenstein, Dracula again, because I guess they were like, never mind, Luke Evans, Dracula, we're going to do it again. Um, the Wolfman, a Scorpion King reboot. <laughs> That's the only one that makes sense. Um, Van Helsing, the Monster Mash That's musical that we talked about in a previous episode. Uh, yeah. Um, the, Inves- the Invisible Woman directed by and starring Elizabeth Banks. Okay, um, that's a I'm good with fantastic that. four tie-in. I'm good with that. And then a okay. mystery project starring Channing Tatum. They haven't told us what it is it, yet. It's Magic Mike 3. <laughs> Those movies are so good. Um, <laughs> yes, so um, that is kind of, in the, you know, the new mummy kind of effed up the dark universe, but it can be saved. Um, that is actually where I would like to literally wrap up our discussion on mummies. This episode kind of had everything started about mummies, talked about theme parks, talked about the dark universe. This episode has everything. Mummies, (laughs) universal, uh, studio theme park rides, Brendan Fraser. (laughs) I, I was, I, I liked, I was excited to find out more about like the weird phenomena of, of mummies. And cause like. We don't really find mummies scary anymore. Like, they, they, they don't use mummies as horror things anymore. 
Yeah, um, and I think that part of that is a good thing. Like, I think there mm-hmm. was... I don't, to be fair, I don't think that it's because people who made mummy horror stuff suddenly had a come to Jesus moment and no. were like, maybe this is a little bit bad. Mm-hmm. But I think, you know, the profit motive, those dang capitalists. Yeah, again. I mean, like, because with the advent of the slasher and stuff, all monster movies kind of fell out of favor. So it makes sense. Right. It, yeah, it was kind of the whims of the genre and, yeah. and kind of uh, prevailing taste. But it's like... I. And from a modern standpoint, like now, there's really nothing separating a mummy from a zombie unless you want to set your whatever in ancient Egypt. Like when you make right. your monster a mummy, it has to be about like an archaeological dig. Right. Or we're and you kind of have to do something problematic. Yeah. Like <laughs> in, in order to you do You can't mummy put mummies good. anywhere else. Yeah. Um, yeah. Zombies you can put anywhere. You can slap a zombie anywhere. <laughs> They did those in a theme park. They call it Zombieland. He went and got a Twinkie. You couldn't have mummies in. They couldn't a, call it Mummyland. Apo- uh, imagine an apocalypse movie, but it's mummies. That's about mummies. That where all at once all the sarcophagi open up <laughs> and mummies and and they're all if you Remy get Malik. Hit by a mummy, you become, <laughs> become a, mummy. a mummy. And they're all Remy Malik, and they're all very sexy. They're, all sexy. This is our new reboot of The Mummy starring Rami Malek as all the mummies. Oh, Rami Malek. He's so handsome. I have such a crush on uh, him. Well. So anyway, this has been The Great American Scream. Uh, if you enjoyed this episode, please leave a rate and review on iTunes. Uh, maybe not a review of this specific episode, because what was it even? <laughs> it was a uh, lot. I hope you learned uh, something. If you guys weren't here to learn, sorry, you learned about how mummies are made. Yeah, you. I think people learned a lot. I liked this episode outside of the podcast. I enjoyed this very much. Anyway, if you uh, use a different podcatcher, please leave a written review or follow us on Spotify. Share the show on Twitter, on Facebook, on Don't Share It on Parlor. Screw that app. Yeah, why um, would you? I don't know. <laughs> please I just, don't show was, us to Parlor. That was the other social media thing that came to mind. Uh, anyway, uh, we have a Patreon, www.patreon.com uh, slash greatscreenpod. We have great rewards. Thank you to everyone there. Adam, can you pimp our social medias, please? Uh, yeah, you can find us on Facebook at The Great American Scream or more frequently on Twitter and Instagram at Great Scream Pod. Um, let us know. Um, I, was, <laughs> I was trying to ask people about mummies. Well, did you have an Egyptology face as a kid? Um, let yes. us know. I know the answer is yes, but let us know anyway. Um, let us know some of those other, that genre of kid things we had obsessions with. That too. I want some more. Or if you have a favorite mummy movie or like piece of media that we haven't talked about. If you have a favorite mummy. If you have a favorite mummy. If you're a big Ramses the Third fan, if you're a big SETI fan who is actually Ramses' uncle, Ramses the Third's uncle, uh, if you're a big Imhotep guy, even yeah. though I don't think he was mummified, um, just well, let us know. Just just say hey. You can tweet at us or post using the hashtag TGAS. And as always, if there is something you would like to hear about on the show uh, in the future, let us know. Tweet it at us um, because your suggestion may become a topic for a future episode. Yeah. Special thank you goes out to Michael Segudo, who does the disclaimer at the beginning of the show, as well as to Stevie Viola, who does the intro and outro music. You can find his music uh, on YouTube. His name is just Stevie Viola. It's all very, very good. Highly recommend it. I've been using it as stream music uh, a lot. It's all very good. And uh, thank you as well to our current patrons. Thank you to Ben, Eric, Casper, Bree, Gail, Joyce, Brucker, Melinda, and Chris. I've been Devin Wright. I've been Adam O'Connell. And hopefully you have been spooked. And if you didn't, you're in denial. Oh, God, Adam. 
Oh God! That was oh. that was one for all my jungle crew skippers out there. I am ending the podcast. <laughs> it's over, but it will come back. Be safe out there, after y'all. After it's embalmed, be safe.